can cities really drive our energy future? In over 30 states, electric utilities are monopoly companies with the exclusive right to serve customers in state-designated geographic areas. Cities and local residents have limited choices. But some cities aren't satisfied with taking a back seat to their energy future. Philip Stoddard is the mayor of South Miami, a suburb of Miami that's been putting up a big fight for energy choice despite its small size. Stoddard recently spoke with me about what cities, even small ones, have the power to do to accelerate clean energy. I'm John Farrell, director of the Energy Democracy Initiative at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and this is Local Energy Rules, a podcast sharing powerful stories about local renewable energy. Now, you have been up to a lot of really interesting things, but I wanted to back up. With you. So you're in Florida. Florida is called the Sunshine State. Um, but I have a feeling uh, that based on the work that you've been doing in South Miami, that the state might not be living up to its name when it comes to energy. Well, Florida's energy situation is ruled by the investor-owned utilities. And they would be very keen on, on, on solar power if they own the sun. So what they've done instead is they've spent, um, oh, $20, 30000000 million that we know of fighting rooftop solar. They, you know, they're okay with solar provided they own it. But even, even recently, the Sierra Club has launched a suit against Florida Power, not against Florida Power and Light, but against the Public Services Commission, because Florida Power and Light, FPL, proposed to build new gas peaker generators in an era when everybody's building battery solar. And they didn't even price out the cost of battery solar by comparison. So that's that's our energy our energy situation. So my philosophy is, if if the big boys are going to behave badly, let's um, let's turn into a swarm of of solar users and overrun them. <laughs> I love it. Um, you know, you you mentioned in the article that I came across that uh, got me so interested in talking with you uh, through Southeast Energy News. Uh, it mentioned that you have solar on your own roof and an electric car, which you can obviously then power from that solar panel, although also from the grid. Uh, tell me a little bit about how you as mayor have helped other South Miami residents be more energy self-reliant. Well, of course, the first thing you do is you lead by example. So there's, there's, you know, you're a total hypocrite if you're telling other people to get solar and you don't have it yourself. So, of course, we decided to, to do that and, and lead the way. And then we got a pretty good, a pretty good price on, on solar and decided to see if we could get that same price for other people. So we uh, through the city, we did a request for proposals to local installers and the most responsive ones with the best prices, uh, we just said, see if they would check a little box saying they would extend these prices to everybody in the county. And they all did. And so you could get South Miami pricing on solar for several years. So a lot of folks started, started getting solar that way, you know, just a good price retail market still. And then the next question was, can we expand beyond that? So I teamed up with the League of Women Voters and a group I belong to called the Green Corridor, which is an interlocal organization. And through the Green Corridor, we were able to fund the creation of solar buying cooperatives. This is uh, an initiative by Solar United Neighbors. It's national. And so we did it in Miami-Dade County and we started co-ops down here. So we've been pushing uh, pushing low prices and good, and good quality services and it's working out very well. So with the Solar Buying Cooperative, uh, and I should disclose, I'm actually on the board of Solar United Neighbors. 
um, so I'm very familiar with their work. But the solar buying cooperative model is essentially you get a bunch of folks together that want to put solar on their own homes, and and they then sort of go out for bid together to see if they can get a better price uh, by buying in, in bulk. And not only that, the coordinator for the co-ops tends to be an expert. And so there's a million questions people have, and the coordinators can provide that information in in group information sessions, and it's a very efficient way to get a lot of information to a lot of people. Now, you know, you mentioned this already before about the challenge of the investor-owned utilities. They have their own business model. They have their own ways of making money. You joked that, you know, they uh, would love solar if they owned the sun. Uh, you also, in the article uh, in Southeast Energy News, called Florida Power and Light, which is the biggest monopoly utility that serves most of Florida's urban areas, an evil genius. Why do you give them that title? Uh, which part, the evil or the genius part? Either they're very, one. <laughs> they're very good at doing what they do. Whatever they set out to do, there's only one thing that they routinely fail at, and that's to knock me out of office. Uh, other than that, they tend to be successful at what they do. Uh, they give immense amounts of money to state legislators and the governor and the cabinet and so forth, and they've got most of the most of the Florida government eating out of their hands. They, I think they employ more lobbyists than we have legislators in Tallahassee. Uh, so they're very, very powerful as a, as a, as a entity that can sway policy. Um, they're pretty good at what they do in terms of, of generating electricity at whatever price they choose to generate it at. Um, they're part of a much larger company, NextEra Energy, and they figured out how to split the business model between the the national scale unregulated utility and the local regulated utility, and they are able to maximize profits, uh, you know, going back and forth across that fence. So I'll say they're very good at doing what they do. They put a lot of money into public relations. They, you know, they do little, you know, little piddly solar projects here and there and try to get the maximum bounce out of it. You know, they've got less than 1% of the generation capacity coming from solar, and they're all over public radio saying how what great environmental stewards they are and how they're generating energy from the sun, et cetera. One of their latest, uh, I'll call it a scam because that's what it is, is trying to convince the environmental community to uh, support their solar fields as some kind of uh, nature sanctuaries. So how is it you turn a green field into a silicon field and you try to tout that as a natural feature? I don't know, but hey, they're trying. Very interesting. Um, you know, you and they put solar on, on science museums and things like that. So they get the maximum amount of public exposure with the minimum amount of solar. Right. Um, I'm sorry to say that I've had that experience with uh, many other utilities and other places. Now, the, the idea behind um, this regulated monopoly model, so the Florida Power and Light has a monopoly. They have no competition uh, over being the person, uh, the entity that sells power on the grid, and this is dates back, you know, a hundred years. Um, and uh, you know, for a lot of folks, it's kind of hard to wrap our heads around the fact that you know, there, this is not a free market model in our country. We have this uh, monopoly structure, but the the reason that we've agreed to it is that we ostensibly have these public regulators, the Public Service Commission or Public Utilities Commission. They go by different names in different states, and these are. Uh, either elected or appointed folks whose job is supposed to be to protect the public interest and to make sure that, you know, even though there is a monopoly company, that they're 
not getting unreasonable profits, that they're uh, you know, protecting the public interest, making sure energy stays affordable. Uh, you alluded to this before with this, you know, these uh, gas power plants that the utility wants to build, even though solar and energy storage are uh, incredibly cost effective. Um, what is the state's public service commission doing, and and you know how is it maybe not living up to that goal of protecting the public interest? Well, the state's public service commission um, gets together and they lie on their backs and stick their little hands and feet in the air and wave them and say whatever you want, FBL. That's I mean that's pretty much what they do, and and I'm not really exaggerating. Um, they almost never fail to give FBL. <clears throat> exactly what FPL wants. So one of the things that FPL wanted to do some years back was to purchase a gas fracking operation in Oklahoma. And not only would they allow FPL to do this, but they would then allow FPL to charge their 12% profit rate on that operation, irrespective of whether it, it made money or lost money. So it just becomes part of their rate base. You know, so you can lose money in natural gas and FPL still makes money. So the Office of Public Counsel, I think, finally, uh, finally sued them successfully uh, over some of that. But they've, you know, they've asked for the ratepayers to uh, pay for all of the storm related damage. You know, we had hurricanes come through here, you may recall. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet FPL reduced their storm maintenance expenditures some years ago and got upgraded by Moody's as a consequence of that. So they're making us more vulnerable. And then when we get slammed by a hurricane, we have to pay for the repairs. FPL has more pass-throughs than any other utility. And the Public Services Commission allows this. Hey, thanks for listening to Local Energy Rules. If you've made it this far, you're obviously a fan and we could use your help for just two minutes. As you've probably noticed, we don't have any corporate sponsors or ads for any of our podcasts. The reason is that our mission at ILSR is to reinvigorate democracy by decentralizing economic power. Instead, we rely on you, our listeners. Your donations not only underwrite this podcast, but also help us produce all of the research and resources that we make available on our website and all of the technical assistance we provide to grassroots organizations. Every year, ILSR's small staff helps hundreds of communities challenge monopoly power directly and rebuild their local economies. So please take a minute and go to ILSR.org and click on the Donate button. And if making a donation isn't something you can do, please consider helping us in other ways. You can help other folks find this podcast by telling them about it or by giving it a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The more ratings from listeners like you, the more folks can find this podcast and ILSR's other podcasts, Community Broadband Bits, and Building Local Power. Thanks again for listening. Now, back to the program. Now, you mentioned some of the things that you've done to help people go solar, which obviously gives them a chance to buy from somebody else other than the utility company or to get power from their own rooftop. Um, You also mentioned uh, in that piece, uh, and and about this is again about those gas peaker plants, that uh, you know, Sierra Club was essentially suing the Public Service Commission over this, but that you've signed on to an amicus brief to help support uh, that effort. Are there other things that you're able to do at the city level, given, you know, these utilities are, are regulated at the state level and maybe not very regulated at the state level, other things that you can do at the local level uh, to help push back to give people more choices? 
more choices. We don't have a lot of choice in the more choices department. We really don't. If, if you're the city of Orlando that isn't bound to a utility in the same way, then they have a lot more choices. I mean, so look, look to Orlando as the model for the city that's going to break through. It's not going to happen here in Miami-Dade County. We really have our hands tied. And one of the things that South Miami also did was we were the first municipality outside of California to require solar on new residential construction. And the utilities fought against that. Um, their, their hired guns, uh, an outfit out of Washington, D.C. called uh, Family Businesses for Affordable Energy, which has a remarkable website called Make Solar Safe, devoted to sharing solar horror stories. They, they hired lobbyists and PR firms down here to, to fight us on this. FPNL came in, they got the, the builders riled up, they got the low-income community coming into the commission meeting saying it's going to make the cost of housing more expensive, which is, of course, exactly opposite of the truth because solar reduces the cost of housing. Uh, it was all based on lies, which has been their standard um, model for fighting, uh, fighting renewable energy in Florida, saying it's too unreliable. Batteries are going to change that. You know, so what can we do? Um, really, I think it's pedal to the metal on rooftop solar. I mean, rooftop solar is great. You, it's one of the very few ways you can work to save the planet and make money at the same time. I mean, how much better can it get than that? Um, you, you know, you mentioned energy storage. Have you, um, has, have the solar buying cooperatives that you're involved with, or has the city had any involvement in trying to get energy storage paired with the solar uh, arrays that you're helping people buy in South Miami? I'm just starting on that this week. So I've got the, you know, down here in South Florida, there's exactly one company that is doing Tesla Powerwalls. It, it's clearly the superior battery technology at this point in time. And nobody has stock. Essentially, Puerto Rico happened, and all of the, all of Tesla's um, technical people and a lot of their battery stock started going into Puerto Rico, which is a great thing. Uh, but I am going to be meeting with the person who's who's part of that pipeline of power walls to Puerto Rico to find out, you know, how these how these devices can be integrated with our local solar systems, and I plan to be one of the early adopters on that. Again. For the opportunity to get to get the press in and show them how it works, I think that's sort of how you begin the process. This week, I had a TV crew from Armenia running around up on my roof doing a documentary on on rooftop solar here in Florida. So, you know, we get people in from all over to take a look at it. That's great. Um, you know, one one other question, uh, or maybe a story to share, and then a question. So, I in Minneapolis, uh, where I'm from, we're a similar situation in terms of utility control. Um, uh, you know, we have a regulated monopoly here called Excel Energy, uh, and Minneapolis is um, a customer, or uh, all residents and businesses of the city are customers. Um, we have, uh, as well here, what are called franchise contracts. So every 20 years or so, the city would renew this contract with the utility, and it was really about the use of public right-of-way. So, uh, you know, the poles and wires that run down the alleys are on public property, and even though the utility has a monopoly on providing service, they uh, still have to work with the city and making sure that the use of that public property is, is respected. And, and so uh, the franchise agreement, as I understand it, sort of steps in place of the utility having to pull a permit every time it needs to go out and fix a pole or string a new wire or, or whatever. Um, what, what happened in Minneapolis that's sort of interesting is about five years ago, 
there was some organizing that I was involved in uh, to uh, use that little point of leverage to say to the utility, you know, well, the city has a climate action plan around reducing greenhouse gas emissions and has goals for getting local renewable energy generation. And, and there's no way we can do those things without you being more involved. And so under the guise of talking about what options the city had, really the only option for the city was to consider municipalizing to take over the utility company and to use eminent domain to take the grid and, and become a utility, which is, I'm sure as you're aware, a very long and complicated and expensive process. Um, but it brought the utility to the table and we, they've now formed with the city a, a, a what's called a clean energy partnership where um, both the gas and the electric utility in the city are all now around the same table. And while I, I, while I won't say that it has resulted in any magical transformation of our grid system in Minneapolis, what it has done is kind of localized our decision-making and conversations about energy in an interesting way, because now people can come to an advisory meeting at City Hall and help to talk about how uh, resources and money could be spent to move the city in that direction rather than um, just at the Public Service Commission, uh, which may be hundreds of miles away. Uh, and I'm just curious, you know, do you have a franchise contract with Florida Power and Light? Do you, do you see any opportunities like that where you could uh, engage on a local level or are they generally hostile <laughs> to what you're trying to do? Sort of both. Uh, we, South Miami, our franchise agreement came up for renewal and we negotiated with Florida Power and Light for a year and a half. Uh, we weren't able to do the sorts of things that you suggest because we're too small a municipality in a much larger sea. And Miami-Dade County has an umbrella franchise agreement that sits over all the other municipalities so that if we fail to come to terms with Florida Power and Light, the county's franchise agreement takes precedence. They And you have to know about franchise agreements. There's a franchise fee associated. So all the residents pay 6% of their utility bill to the FPO, which then passes that money through to the holder of the franchise agreement, mm -hmm. which you know, for us is a, is a good chunk of change for our annual budget. And so had we failed to come to terms with FPL, the county would have taken that money and kept it. Ha ha. So our citizens still would have been taxed effectively, even though it's not technically a tax. Mm -hmm. But they would have been taxed and we would have lost that money from our budget and the county would have held on to it, not given it back. So we had a gun to our heads, which, which reduced our bargaining power. But nonetheless, one of the things we were still able to get through was an agreement by FPL that other providers could provide renewable power to our citizens if they were to come along and wish to do so with one proviso, and that is that the other providers would also pay the same franchise fee, essentially a level playing field. And I had no problem with, with a level playing field. Mm -hmm. I just don't want to see the, the playing field entirely imbalanced. So that's, that's what we were able to get. So our citizens can, in principle, uh, purchase solar power from somebody else you know, if the day ever comes that the Florida legislature would allow that to happen. So, yeah, I was just going to ask about that. That would be one way then that you could have people do a leasing arrangement, for example, for a solar panel on their roof, which I know has been a point of major contention uh, in Florida. As I recall, there was a ballot initiative and uh, somebody, I believe someone called it political jujitsu by Florida Power and Light uh, in terms of placing their own amendment on the ballot to try to squelch that effort. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was it was more than jujitsu. It was it was almost fraud. Do you um, have any advice for uh, folks in other cities, whether it's mayors or city council members who are 
trying to identify ways that their city can uh, attack climate change or to help their citizens have some more choices or to um, uh, invest in renewable energy about where they could start, uh, given that you've had a lot of experience here? Well, it's, it's really pedal to the metal on suburban solar. That's the first thing. I mean, the, the only real substantial ecological services that the suburbs can provide is solar power. And so what municipalities need to do is to provide every possible incentive for the suburbs to solarize. And over and overgenerate, in fact, is, is a great thing. So make sure that people are putting in enough solar to power their electric car. You know, if you're gonna get that, if you're gonna get that Bolt or Tesla 3 uh, or whatever, I mean, they're all gonna be electric pretty soon. Put in a little extra solar so you'll be able to power your car. Make sure your house makes at least as much electricity as it needs. And that's a great thing to do. So we have waived solar permitting fees in Florida. Um, um, I just called you. Hang, 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 on one, hang on one second here. Um, hey, Chief. Very good. Thank, thank you so much. I appreciate that more than you can know. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks. Uh, just my police chief just stopped in to say hi. Oh, very good. Bring me some news. Mm -hmm. No problem, Matt. It's a nice thing about not being live when we do these podcasts. Um, so you were saying about the suburbs, you know, make sure there's enough to power the electric car, make as much electricity as you can. And put every kind of municipal incentive in place. We waive solar permitting fees. We make it as easy for people as possible. We, you know, got the co-op system going here. That is, that is huge if you can do that. Um, you know, inside of denser cities, it's harder. You know, uh, promoting public transit is a big deal because public transit cuts down, you know, I mean, you can cut 50% of your carbon footprint off if you have effective public transit. So that's the other side. So between those two things, um, you know, transit oriented development, good transit systems and solar as the suburbs, that's your, th that's your big three. Those are the three things that we need to be doing. There's no magic to it. Well, Philip, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Uh, it's uh, great to hear about the work that you're doing in Florida and frustrating, I'm sure, uh, to have to share about the problems you've had with FPL. But I think it's inspiring for what folks are trying to do in other places to realize there are still things you can do even when up against uh, behemoth uh, like an investor-owned utility. Thank you. I want people to circle back with me because I'm going to be, you know, when I get those batteries in, we're going to be bringing in the press. And we're going to be shutting off the power main and, and showing people how the air conditioning down here in Florida still runs with the utility power turned off. This is John Farrell, director of ILSR's Energy Democracy Initiative. I was speaking with Philip Stoddard, the mayor of South Miami, about many ways his city is standing up to the power of the incumbent electric utility to put the pedal to the metal for local solar, electric vehicles, and other tools for a local energy economy. For more information on how cities can accelerate local energy progress, check out ILSR's Interactive Community Power Toolkit, which is available at ILSR.org. While you're at our website, you can find more than 50 past episodes of the Local Energy Rules podcast. Until next time, keep your energy local, and thanks for listening.